Hello and welcome to another episode of The Curious Recruiter. I am Anais and today I will be coming to you not just as The Curious Recruiter, but also as a some sort of self-proclaimed positivity coach, um, because today I wanted to publish an episode that is a little bit more personal to me and with obviously some very personal advice I'd like to share in case it helps. So this episode is going to be all about imposter syndrome, some background on what may be at the root cause of that imposter syndrome, and of course, it wouldn't be a podcast from The Curious Recruiter if it didn't contain a couple of practical tips on obviously how to restore back that trust in yourself, you know, the one that has you lacking in self-confidence at time, and ultimately become your biggest fan, which I think are kind of the key things to do in order to get over imposter syndrome as much as possible, because I don't think it's ever possible to go completely without it. But yeah, so some of you might pause right here now and say, I don't know what the deal is. I think I'm doing just fine and I am my biggest fan. I don't need none of that imposter syndrome label and stuff. And in that case, wow, that's great. And maybe you don't actually need to continue listening. But if somewhere deep inside of you, you've been in a situation where you've been anxious about your performance, your abilities and thought at some point that you were on some sort of winning streak that was bound to come to an end, which is when ultimately someone would discover that you don't actually know shit. Well, if you have had any of these moments, including the need to be the best, fear of failure, denial of ability and discounting praise, and feeling fear and guilt about success. Well then, you're probably at the right address for this podcast. So take a deep breath, get comfy, and let's talk a bit about imposter syndrome, debunk some flim flam on the way, and uh, find out how you can change your mindset from imposter to your own number one fan. So stay with me. So first of all, let's talk a bit about the term imposter syndrome. This term was actually first coined in 1978, so that means not even 50 years back, by researchers who investigated this phenomenon by interviewing a sample of 150 high-achieving women. And maybe that's why imposter syndrome is usually linked to the female sex, but as we all know, that's not true at all. This 1971 study dates back to a much less female-populated industry, not to mention a much less less female populated leadership world. So what we know now, after the studies have also been extended to include non-female subjects, is that it affects men and women equally. I do have to say that according to some studies, it turns out that men don't seem to suffer from it as much because there is an element of ego and pride maybe that might not be as predominant in females, but that's not the point. It affects us all and it's an inherent trait of the human personality. But before I tell you more on that, let's define what imposter syndrome actually is. So to put it plain and simple, it's about never really recognizing your own skills, talent, or achievements. And to take it a step further, it's about thinking that your success is a result of luck and a result of others simply overestimating your intelligence and abilities. You know when someone walks up to you and tells you, good job on that deal you closed, and you go, nah, no biggie, I could have done it without the team and we were at the right time in the right place with the right offering. And you're not actually saying this because it's the polite thing to do. You literally mean it. So yeah, not accepting compliments or praise, that's also a major sign of imposter syndrome. And while we stay on the notion of not being able to attribute successes to oneself, let's explore some of the other mindsets that this imposter syndrome can bring about, which is 
you guessed it, lack of self-confidence. So let's talk about lack of self-confidence for a second. Lack of self-confidence or low self-esteem, as I'm sure most of you know, translates into some of the worst behaviors. We become our most severe critic. We berate ourselves mercilessly when we find ourselves making an error in judgment or forgetting what we should have remembered or, um, on a non-professional note, when we look at our love handles in our mirror. And sometimes we see love handles or errors in judgment or simply errors when there are none. So yeah, naturally, we look at people who are all self-confident, maybe on the outside, with stars in our eyes, wishing that we were more like them. But people who strut their stuff and think they're the greatest and the most skilled, well, that's not all it's made to be. Don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about the people who repeat the mantra, I'm great and today's my day, over and over again in their head. That's actually something that we'll talk about later. But I'm talking about people who really think that they are the shit. You don't want that. And let me tell you why. So just for a second, think about driving your car, or in my case, driving a bike, because I don't actually have a driver's license, but that's another story for another day. So then think about all of the road accidents that are happening on a yearly basis across the world. Now, who do you think causes those road accidents? Is it the people who are afraid to take the road, afraid to drive, who don't feel comfortable on the road? Or is it the people who think that they have what it takes to drive crazy speeds on a highway because they're confident drivers and have, quote unquote, full control of their car? Well, spoiler alert, it's the latter. Being overly confident can also cause you to crash and burn. And that's a pun that was completely intended. So the point I'm trying to make is that self-confidence, when done right, doesn't need to be all braggy. And more importantly, not being 100% self-confident, because really no one is, and also understanding your own limitations is a natural preservation mechanism. If you're not confident as a driver, you're going to be more careful. It might take you longer, but ultimately you'll end up in one piece. And the more you drive, the more confident you are or you become. So taking the safe approach is not necessarily a bad thing. And professionally, the same applies. Self-confidence might lead you to take bigger risks, and sometimes they pay off, but the consequences can be devastating. I mean, heaven forbid. But think about the next time you need to see a doctor or go to the hospital. Well, would you rather have a doctor look after you who isn't sure and will do anything that they can to get this right, or go with the God complex doctor who doesn't even need to examine you right to know what is actually hurting? Okay, I know the medical analogy isn't necessarily the most elegant one, and it might hit a little too close to home for some of you guys, but what I'm trying to say, once again, is that the imposter syndrome doctor is the one who cares. C-A-R-E-S. The one that's really going to do whatever they can in order to make sure that, you know, you're getting out of there in one piece and all good. The one who cares about making the best decision that they can for you and for your health. Whereas the other one, well... Less so. So therefore, I don't want you to think that it's wrong to worry. Wrong to worry about things going wrong. Wrong to worry about, you know, your medical or professional, of course, ability to get something right. That worry, which is an absolutely normal self-preservation mechanism, it's that feeling that something is at stake that drives us to perform. It's the adrenaline that we need in order to ace a presentation or a specific project. It's the one thing that's going to give us the boost that we need to do good. 
Now, I personally know that this worry sometimes translates in people actually wanting to procrastinate and not do anything because they have such a low self-esteem that they don't even want to get started for fear of failing. But you have to understand that, you know, if you don't start, if you don't do anything, then that's already a guaranteed failure. I know this is super motivational speechy, but it actually rings true. So if there's anything that you need to take away from this rant, it's that the key to overcoming imposter syndrome is not to become that self-confident, self-absorbed person. And trust me, it's also not about working harder or smarter or all of those things that lead you to become better than anyone else. It's about understanding that the imposter syndrome is situational anxiety that is brought about by years of cultural shaping of the human's mindset, I'll explain later. And whenever we're talking about a mindset, well, we can change it. So I want to give you three super easy tips to change that mindset little by little. And as I said, become a fan of yours again. So let's start with the first and most important tip. And that tip is to start with yourself. Oh man, now she's gone all spiritual and stuff. Yeah, no, don't worry, I won't. It sounds corny again, but it's true. If you don't believe in yourself, how can you expect others to believe in you? I know it's easier said than done, but it's possible to become your own number one fan without becoming a self-obsessed person. And the key to that is to use a more balanced and more kind approach to yourself and to your work rather than resorting to, let's say, auto-flagellation. And yes, today's society is all about over-indexing on people's failures. In a day, you could be receiving 100 compliments, but those 100 compliments are not worth anything if you just received one single critique then that critique becomes the only thing you remember throughout the day. This is just simply how our brains are wired. So it's really important to bring a balanced view into this. We're not always performing like crap. And likewise, we're not always the shit. (laughs) See what I did there? But more than we think, we do have days where we're doing really well. And it should be important to recognize what those achievements are. So if you want to become more balanced rather than just go through life with a black I'm so tired, I'll never amount to anything attitude, I'll need you to do the following homework. I know, I said this was going to be easy, but still, it involves a little bit of homework, like any change of mindset or habits, right? So let's get this started. What's your homework? So grab a pen, a couple of post-it notes, and find an old shoebox or some sort of, I don't know, jar, mason jar, whatever nice container you've got. And now every day, When you come home from work or before going to bed or whichever time works best for you, I want you to write all of the things that you're proud of, even the little things. And for each thing that you come up with, use one post-it or scrap of paper. It doesn't have to be any fancy things. And then you basically fold that little scrap of paper and you put it in your box or into your jar. So obviously, it'll be hard, super hard to come up with anything. You'll have to jog your brain real hard to come up with anything worthy of, you know, a little scrap of paper. But then over time, as you do this exercise on a daily basis, it'll get easier and easier. And hopefully for you, the box will fill up over time. And now I'll let you guess what this exercise will help you with. Did you figure it out? Exactly. Whenever you fall into a slump, go back to the box or the jar. Open one or several notes and simply remember what you wrote down on them. Because I guarantee you, you will have forgotten. Because it's not only in our nature to over-index on the bad, yay, it's also in our nature to forget the good. 
great, huh? So go back to that box whenever you have a dark moment. I'm sure it will make you feel better whenever you have an imposter syndrome moment. And this two-minute daily exercise of remembering memorable things will really help you adopt a more balanced view of your achievements. And you're going to start recognizing whatever's going well with a lot more ease. Now let's get you to that second step of the three-step program, and it's going to be slightly more difficult, obviously. So far, however, you've done most of the work. You've got half the battle won, because let me remind you that after consistently writing down positive things and keeping them safe, your brain is now sort of rewired to look at your performance and at yourself with a kinder and more positive attitude. That's amazing. It's just what we wanted, a change of mindset. Now you've done a lot of work on yourself, and now's the time to expand that remit. And there's no better way to practice than within your close circle of family and friends. What I want you to do is to become more vocal about what you do, not just to yourself with the help of scraps of paper, but by sharing your little wins with someone else. Maybe start with your spouse or best friend or parents, you know, whoever feels like an important part of your life. If you do have a significant other, have a little ritual maybe before bedtime where you talk about the good stuff that happened to you. Or when you finish your workday, debrief on your day with your partner for maybe maximum five minutes and then you put the work topic to rest. Because believe me, I've been in relationships where the how was your day, sweetie, conversation turned really, really heavy because honestly, it was all about seeing the negatives. And sure, that's actually fine. I want my partner or my friends to help me work through some of the negative negative aspects of work in my day-to-day because we honestly all need an outlet in order to vent. But don't forget, don't over-index on the negatives. Highlight the positives and then, of course, you know, talk about whichever negatives you want, but don't forget the good stuff. And prompt the person in front of you to do the same. It's not just a one-way street. If they can talk about what makes them great, they'll also change the mindset um, into something more positive and that will give them the warm fuzzies. So it's an amazing way to uh, really keep relationships and also friendships alive because you know people love to talk about themselves and if they can talk about themselves in a positive way that's always good so yeah just an advice on my end and I am of course in no means a relationship expert I'm just going with the flow and what works best and you know trial and error but it's really something that matters to really be interested in another person and when the other person is being prompted to talk about good things and of course about their achievements then that's amazing that means that you're a good listener and you care anyway you get the point just start being comfortable sharing your successes with others I know no one likes people who are always bragging about themselves. Scientists believe that the first human being who will live 150 years has already been born. I believe I am that human being. That's not what we want to do. It's not about being pretentious. It's really about celebrating your successes and sharing them. Obviously, it's uh, not about holding a little uh, celebration solo party. So how about taking all the work that you've done so far to where imposter syndrome really matters and where it was first identified, which is, of course, the workplace? Well, that takes us to step number three, which is about expanding your, let's call them good vibes, to the workplace. So let me kick this off with one word. Appraisal. Which is also known as performance review, self-review, self-appraisal, yearly performance appraisal. Anyway, you get the gist. Now, why am I bringing this up? It's because most of us have a hard time writing their self-performance review. 
Actually, that's not true because most of us are really good at hammering into the growth areas and all the stuff that they suck at um, because they have no problem elaborating on their shortcomings because today's corporate world simply asks us to over-index on those as opposed to celebrating our achievements and our strengths. Now, when it comes to writing about what you did well, that's where most people draw a blank and then they wonder why their manager can't actually make a case for their promotion. So here are some easy, tried and tested, easy to follow tips on how to cure imposter syndrome in the workplace, or at least starting, you know, rewiring your brain, your mindset and your attitude so that imposter syndrome doesn't take over. So first thing, like I mentioned in my episode around writing a good self-performance review, you should always make sure to keep a list of all of your achievements somewhere in a folder, in a document that you update as you go along. It can be, you know, a list of things that you did, maybe dated, bulleted, whatever works for you. Uh, That's the exact concept as having the post-it note jar, only that it applies to a more professional context, obviously. So that way you can build your case easily whenever performance review is around the corner. Or of course, when you have a slump in productivity or one of your meetings didn't work out as planned, just, you know, go back to that list and have a look and remember, remind yourself of all the cool things that you did so far. The day is not all screwed. What's one shitty meeting when you had 20 great meetings? What's one failure when you had 30 really good achievements? Put stuff into perspective. That's really all I'm asking you to do. But since this podcast and like the tips I want to give you are not all about performance review, but about day-to-day management of imposter syndrome, let me tell you the following. When you have an achievement that you're proud of, then don't just keep it to yourself and to your achievement folder, of course. Start with a small email to your manager, maybe, or your mentor. It's not about bragging and sending 10 emails per day about things that you were obviously expected to do. It's really about highlighting anything that seems important in your eyes, maybe something that goes a little bit above and beyond, something that you didn't know was going to turn out that well. Anything that you feel important to highlight, Do not hesitate to let your manager know if you're happy and proud of what you did. You've already identified your success. You're aware of it. So take the next step by simply informing people in professional settings, people, of course, who care, uh, which would most obviously be your manager in that case. And you don't need to write a book about it. Sometimes just forwarding feedback or some simple data to prove your point is a great way to start, especially for those who don't really know how to write about themselves in a more positive or, dare I say, braggy way. How do I define myself? 80% trill and 30% dope. Just let the data or someone else's feedback speak for itself. And then another tip is to change the way that you approach other people in the company. And that is obviously your manager, but also say colleagues. Look at, for example, manager one-to-ones. In your next one-to-one, talk about the cool stuff that you did at the very opening. Don't just talk about the roadblocks or difficulties you're having now. Of course, you'll get there. You'll want to talk about those with your manager. But first, take some time to look back on previous wins that your manager might not necessarily know about. So obviously, it's in your best interest to let them know. And this doesn't just apply to your manager. It can also apply to colleagues or other people. I know that when we get introduced, when we are being asked to talk about ourselves, we usually like to do that in a very modest way. This is just what years of corporate culture have done to us, right? And sometimes we ourselves know that we're good at something, but we're being asked to downplay just because, you know, no one likes a braggy person. 
Even though, on that note, I do have to say that I have seen cases in my professional life where the people that were the loudest in the room were given more attention, but, you know, that's not the topic. What I'm trying to say is that if you're used to talk about yourself in, let's say, euphemistic ways, then stop doing that. So on a personal note, I've always worked in an environment where it was very common and still is very common to have one-to-ones with team members, right? Peers that are at the exact same level as you that are doing the same things. And whenever I would be on those one-to-ones, simply in order to exchange on what was going on in our respective worlds, I would start with the bad thing. I would start about what is posing me difficulties. I would just talk about the negative things. And this is wrong. Then I changed the way that I approach those one-to-ones. And I start talking about, you know, all the wins that I've had. And then I said, listen, it's not just black and white. I'm not just killing it. I also have huge difficulties with A, B, C. And then we would have a much better conversation. And don't get me wrong, in a 30-minute call, I wouldn't be talking about all my wins for, say, 20 out of the 30 minutes. I'd give this maybe a minute or two and say, oh, this is what's going on in my world. Those are the cool things I'm working on that I managed to achieve. Um, And then I'd say, listen, those are the really, really annoying things, and I'd love to get your help on them because I'm sure you're going through the same thing as well. But it's always a good idea to demonstrate to your coworkers that you are capable of withstanding a tremendous amount of pain. So what this sort of approach does is two things, essentially. The first thing is that the more you allow room for positives, the more you make it quote-unquote legit to celebrate achievements. Maybe at first some people will be irked about it, but guess what? Their instinct will be to showcase their own achievements back at you. And if they're still at the beginning of their mindset change of positivity, it will be a little more difficult. But as we established, it will get better with time. Also, this approach leads you to remain balanced, right? So you lead the way in showing that even though you knock the ball out of the park on some topics, you're still human and struggling. But I'm only human after all. I'm only human after all. Don't put your blame on. And obviously, you're showing that it's okay to struggle. Balance, karma, equilibrium, whatever you want to call it, that's great stuff, and you definitely want to role model it. And the second thing is that this will seriously boost you in the workplace. You and your self-esteem. Why? Well, because people don't see you as a black and white person, but they see you as a more balanced and positive and successful person. And that's possible only because they are actually made aware of your successes, which otherwise they wouldn't have been. And you start building a reputation for yourself and people start coming to you for advice and help. And again, it is human nature to appreciate being needed and looked up to. And drumroll, it improves your self-esteem in turn. So it's really a virtuous cycle that you're starting if you're allowing yourself to be more vocal about your wins while, of course, remaining balanced. So remember, start celebrating your successes now. You're only as good as the visibility of your actions and you're only as successful as your manager or your peers know that you are. And I'm frankly quite saddened by the fact that I have to say this because it's true. The more your manager or your peers or any people interested in your performance know about your successes and acknowledge them, the more confident you will become in your abilities. So in summary, I'd like you to walk away with those three important tips. And they're all motivated by the fact that imposter syndrome is bar a mindset that needs to be turned from something slightly negative, if not very negative, to something way more positive. And that positivity, you have to train it. 
and it's actually easy and hopefully that um, post-it node vase jar thing will help you um, to be a little bit more aware of your successes and then once you've done that and rewired your brain as I said it's time to be comfortable with sharing those successes and then hopefully um, after a little bit of time you'll see it will become easier and you will feel a lot more confident about yourself and yeah be able to champion yourself and become your biggest fan if that's uh, the right way to put it. So yeah, we've come to the end of this episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it. I know it was a little bit different from what I'm usually publishing, which is a lot more recruiting or career advice or, you know, factually oriented. I'm going to say this is a little bit more personal. Again, you guys know I am in no way, shape or form a life coach or some sort of certified, I don't know, positivity professional. This is all kind of my own personal um, views on the topic and some own personal tips and tricks that I've been following myself. Tips which I have actually slipped to a couple of friends here and there and I know that they've been following them and they've been reporting back that, you know, stuff works. So yeah, let me know what you think about those tips and tricks and how you feel and maybe if you know very well what it's like to deal with imposter syndrome and have dealt with it, whether successfully or still working on it, I'd love to hear more about that. So as always, please feel free to join the conversation. You can find me on Instagram on at the curious recruiter, all in one word. You can leave a voice message on Anchor as well, of course. And last but not least, the good old email info at the curious recruiter recruiter.com all in one word i'd be very happy to hear from you and keep the conversation going now i shall retire until the next episode when you can be guaranteed that there will be some more recruiting related stuff and yeah i've got some really cool things in the works with some really cool guest speakers as well so stay tuned and i'll see you next week bye guys